Live from Orlando, Florida, you're now listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Orlando Magic fans. Join us every week for a unique fan perspective on all of the latest Magic news and updates. The show starts now. What's up, Magic fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast brought to you by DraftKings and part of the Basketball Podcast Network. We host Al, myself, Anthony. Today is Friday, June 10th, and we're exactly two weeks away from the NBA draft. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us, credentialed NBA draft analyst, Richard Steeman, also known as Mavs Draft. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. How are you guys doing? We're doing good, man. We are really looking forward to picking your brain about the NBA draft. Um, just because Al and I, we're we're pretty we're pretty simple. Al already has his favorite. I have my favorite. We kind of need someone to to really break down on not necessarily who's right and who's wrong, but to really focus on you know the pros and cons of of each. But before we get into the NBA draft, um, Richard, I noticed that on your on your bio on your Twitter it says that you're a sneakerhead. So I I really I have to ask. When it comes to influential shoes, you're a sneakerhead. Influential shoes. I feel like the Orlando Magic, just signature signature shoes from the Orlando Magic. We have we have an okay catalog, right? Tracy McGrady, uh, the pennies. Maybe we can throw a little bit of Shaq in there. But when you look at signature shoes inspired by the Orlando Magic, which one really stands out to you specifically? Hey, shout out to Dwight Howard who had the Adidas line. Uh, I forget what they were called, but he did have his own. I was a big fan of those just because I yeah. love Dwight Howard. But man, the T Max, T Max take the cake, I think. Uh, I, I was a huge fan of those. And I know Jabari Smith has been wearing some Adidas. Maybe he's the next Adidas athlete. I mean, it seems to be a thing. Half those guys, I mean, technically, if you count Reebok as Adidas, because uh, that's their parent company. I mean, it's that's the right. stars are in the, the what's the phrase? Stars are in the writing or whatever, or the writing's in the star or something like that. That's yeah, right. It, you know, he actually touched a little bit on it today during his uh, presser for, um, you know, his workout for the Orlando Magic. Says that he's he has his people kind of handling that, and he was told just to focus on basketball. But I think that for the most part, Adidas kind of ran away with the Orlando Magic market in a sense. I believe they were pro models, if I'm not mistaken, like Dwight Howard's own version of the pro models. Between the the Tracy McGrady's one, the T Mac ones and twos, which one <clears throat> which one would you say is probably the the best one out of the line uh i feel like the twos are more i feel like the twos are more iconic um maybe the one i i like the twos a little bit more personally um they're also the ones i used to play with on 2k and stuff so they got me into that so i'm, I'm gonna go with the twos yeah i think so too have you seen the threes have you seen the t-mac threes no <clears> but i'm googling them now they're not and pretty. i am interested to find Oh, yeah, they, they look yes. they look like the T Mac twos, but like way less like room for laces. Like there's like a they, little, they look hideous. little I forgot space in the middle. I yeah, forgot not, about those. Yeah, those are bad. Yeah, they're not good. They're not good at all. Al, what what would you say? It's gotta be the T Max, man. I think like like you guys mentioned already, those are the most iconic. Although we cannot forget about the pennies though, right? Like you think about history, the magic, those are I think the most iconic to me personally. Um, but I think the T-Mac, just just the generation as a whole, sneakers became a thing, I think, even more in that generation with, with the MJs. Um, so I think those are more recognizable. But the pennies to this day, when you see them on the players and stuff, they pop right away. Um, and you think about the magic right away when you see them. 
Yeah, it, it's it's good that you mentioned that because something that I kind of wish the Orlando Magic would adopt, very similar to how Charlotte was the first one to to adopt the Jumpman logo on on their on their jerseys before it was kind of rolled out to you know the rest of the NBA. How sick would it be if you know we were able to get the one cent logo on the jerseys instead mm. of the Jumpman? I would take that in a heartbeat. Amazing, right? I like yeah. that idea. I need to put that somewhere. We can get credit for it. <laughs> All right, Richard. So, quick question for you. So, you're you 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 go by your handle is Mavs Draft. You live in Dallas, Texas. What makes you keep an eye on the Orlando Magic? Like, how does that even come about? Yeah, um, it's funny because like I'm in this weird middle ground where you know there's always like a cloud of oh you like the Magic oh you like the Mavs, which depending on who I talk to. I was actually born in Orlando. I uh, lived there for the first few years of my life. And uh, this is very indicative of my personality. I was indecisive. I'm, I still am. My parents are like, so are you going to be a Magic Mavs fan? When we moved here, I was five years old. And I'm like, both. And, uh, and it just hasn't <laughs> faded. And like, I was 10 years old when they drafted Dwight Howard, which is what got me into the draft. And I, uh, ever since then, I, just, I never abandoned them. I, I had a lot of people saying, all right, 2012, like, so you're going, you're just Mavs now, right? And I'm like, now this made me want to be a Magic fan even more just because like I hadn't seen the bottom in my whole memorable life understanding what was happening when I was like six or eight, something like that. They had it, I guess, that one year when, they were, when I was eight or nine, but I couldn't fathom that quite like I can now. That's pretty awesome. So I think if the Magic and Mavs ever met in the finals, though, how would that play out? <laughs> no, no, I no, no, absolutely not. You know, it is hard even when they play in the regular season because there's always something I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Two thousand nine was close. Two thousand. Uh, I think. God, the whole two. Pretty much two thousand seven to two thousand twelve was a scary, scary window. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's it's exciting though. I guess it's two teams in different conferences. You kind of keep an eye on, on each one. They play usually on different time slots. You can get to watch the Magic game first, and then catch up on the Mavs game after. So it's kind of cool. I, I like that thinking. I mean, kind of similar to me. So I was always a, a, a player fan initially, a Vince Carter fan, Stephen Curry, as Vince aged, moved to Orlando in 2016, and I liked him from afar. Like, I'll follow the Magic. Vince played here. So that was that's really what got me into the Magic and Dwight Howard as well. Moved to Orlando, and as my listeners know now, I haven't missed a game. We've been to, my wife and I go to every game here at home, so we're now diehard Magic fans to the, to the T. But like right now, the Warriors are in the finals. I'm rooting for Steph. I'm watching every game. I'm I'm, I'm deep into it, but it will never be the same as the Magic again. It, it, so it, I get where you're going, coming from. It's just it's challenging though when they play against each other. Like who do you root for? It's not it's not easy. Yeah, I I personally love the connection. You guys got Daryl Armstrong. We took Coach Moss away from you. In the future, maybe a little Luca. It, it all makes sense. Like it's Jameer all kind of connecting a little bit. Yeah, Jameer. That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. So um, I, I love the connection all around for sure. Now, another connection recently is Coach Mosley. So mostly coached the Mavs, assistant manager, uh, assistant coach for the Mavs for many years. He's now the head coach of the Orlando Magic. So as you were watching him the past few years as, as a Mavs fan, is there anything that we don't know about him yet? that our listeners should be aware of any, any, any kind of inside information on coach mostly that we can kind of learn uh, from you. Yeah. Coaching inside is actually one of my weaknesses. The one thing I really do know about Mosley, and I think this kind of showed, but it didn't get talked about a lot with his first year impact. And that's that he clicks with his players. Like he is a very player friendly coach. 
that's why a lot of Mavs fans, myself included, before Jason Kidd, we were we were very much in the camp of, hey, get the guy Luca respects. He knows he clicks with, he clicks with all the guys. But I, I in hindsight, I'm happy with how it played out. But you know, I think it was very obvious. I think a prime example is Mo Bamba seeing the most minutes of his career, probably the best career year, uh, year of his career, excuse me. And I think he he just clicks with his guys and he's somebody who I wish the Magic had a year earlier to go through that year zero of that rebuild and, and just have a full off season with. But I, I think the franchise is in good hands with him. He's a, at the bare minimum, somebody who hands the keys over well uh, for for whoever comes in next because, you know, he won't be here forever. Yeah, and I think that one of, one of the things that quickly we found out about Coach Moses is how hands-on he is. I think that from the early clips that we saw during the offseason of him actually being on the court, spending that extra time with Mo Bamba, you know, showing him some low post move, like his literally his first day with the Orlando Magic after his press conference, um, you, you can really see that that's his unique way of being able to to adapt and to, to really show, you know, get the respect from the players. Because I mean, previously we, you know, coach Clifford, you're looking at Frank Vogel, Scott Skiles, like, you know, these are guys that really couldn't do exactly what coach Mose is able to do in, in his way of doing it. Yeah. And I, I agree. It's just kind of, it's very easy for him to convey the message. You look at the press conference, like his first day, he was talking about the books he's read and stuff to, to click with his guys. He just has a, a good feel of what the right steps are to do the right thing. And then once he gets to that decision, what's the right thing? He, I think he's going to be on the right side of it. Obviously X's and O's. I think his system uh, is hard to figure out because all, the only thing we really know, in my opinion, uh, is just the, that two centers can coexist in it, right? We saw Mo Bamba and right. Wendell Carter coexist. And to me, that means a couple of things. One, he's going to get creative with log jams. Hopefully he does that something, find something with the guards. But the other thing is, say Chet Holmgren comes here, or even Jabari Smith, um, or Paolo. I mean, all the top three picks, they're, they're likely choices or front court players. So maybe a little bit of foreshadowing, especially for Chet. If, if Chet is the pick, we now know what it will look like. We have a system of what it looks like for him. Yeah, and I think that this upcoming season is going to be really tough for him in terms of kind of because there's there's not a whole lot of minutes to go around with every all the different young pieces that we have throwing the number one pick on top of that. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of his plan and his strategy and how he's going to roll everything out. Um, but kind of moving on to the draft, the Orlando Magic won the number one pick. I mean, what what was your initial thoughts all the way from Dallas? Like, you know, with, with the Orlando Magic being your, your second favorite team of all time, like how excited were you? What were your initial thoughts? You know, is is this the perfect time for the Magic to really, you know, get that number one pick and kind of really steam forward with with the future of of this now, what seems to be a very, very fast rebuild? Yeah. Um, you know, after the, the last few years of seeing them beat the Pistons in garbage time to get the sixth pick, it was really nice to see the lottery balls turn a different way. Unfortunately, this is probably the year that you don't want the first pick out of like the last of all the years they've been tanking over the last 10 years, but I'm happy with it, right? Like I, I went down out of the whole line. I was like, God, please don't let this be the year the 14 goes in. And every year I was just convincing myself something bad would happen. And then I saw them get into the top four and I'm like, all right, whatever happens, it's really no bad outcome. The worst would be four, obviously, because Ivy potentially, but I, I saw Sacramento with four and I was like, all right, we're in business no matter what happens. And then I just kept seeing it and seeing it. And I was like jumping. I'm like, no way. Like I just, I never thought I'd see it because I was too young to remember 2004's lottery at this point. But 
I'm happy. I think they're in a lot of they're in a great position. If they want, I, I think they could move back to three and not see any consequences. I don't think anybody's really going to buy. I think Oklahoma City and Houston are in a position where they're just content with taking who's left. But ultimately, I think Orlando. I really trust Orlando. I trust this front office to make a good decision, and I'm confident. I mean, what do you what do you believe is the most important thing for the Magic right now? You you bring up a valid point. Like this year, there's no consensus. Like we could have gotten the second or the third pick, and we would have been just as excited. The great thing, and what I love most about us winning the number one pick, is that it feels like time after time. We've always been that one, two player away from being able to get the Luca, the the Trey Youngs, whatever case may be, and we just missed out. But now, kind of, we we hold our own, you know, future in our hands where we can decide. All right, we're not we're not taking leftovers. We're going to be able to pick our guy. With that being said, with no consensus, you know, Paolo, Jabari, Chet—they're three completely different guys that bring three completely different things to the table. What do you think right now is most important for the Magic going into the draft? Like, what do you think is is needed for us to not just next season improve, not just to you know make it to the play in, but to actually be you know a, a team that's respected in the future? Yeah. So first, I want to preface this with I I see all I see the light on all three. I, I get each avenue. Anthony, I, I guess I think I know who you're going with as your number one choice, without um, a doubt. It's going to be really hard to tell, but. Uh, I, I see the light on all three, right? But my my thing is, I think they need to find somebody that's going to be a franchise changer. They have a lot of guys. Franz is probably the closest thing to it right now. They have some very good players in the in the mix, and I also think this is something I love preaching. This last year was year one, I would call it, of the rebuild. The the trade is on that. It's kind of year zero. They had a month and a half. Yeah, I don't really count that as year one of the rebuild. Um, after that, like the you know they got the fifth pick. What was it? Fourth pick? Um, no, they got fifth. They had fifth and eighth. And even if Jalen Suggs never turns it around, they still got a great outcome in the draft getting Franz Wagner. Yep. Now the thing is, though, is you got to get that. You got to get over the hump. They have, they have seven, maybe eight guys that are young players that you would count as a, a quality piece of the core. Problem is they have too many pieces. I think to get over that hump, you got to hit on this draft, right? I, I really think also. Yeah, people say Chet's bust like bustable. He's probably the most because of his frame, but like there's no skill set that plays him off the court. None of these top three guys get played off the court. It's really special because there's no fatal flaw to these guys in terms of skill set, which injuries like it could happen to anybody. You know, it could happen. I mean, there's injury prone players regardless of weight. Yeah, Porzingis right. doesn't shed the doesn't exactly help. But I don't think that's a reason not to draft somebody. It's not not like there's been an injury history. In fact, he had a perfectly clean bill of health. But I think you hit on this draft, you get the star power. And to me, that means you're taking Paolo or Chet. And then you have to package some of these young guys. You got to get it's too many cooks in the kitchen right now, and you got to package them to get a, a high quality piece. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, if if you think about the top three candidates. So we talked about Jabari, Chet, and Paulo as the top three guys. For those listeners who are just kind of getting into the draft right now, can you give me three three strengths and maybe three weaknesses or, or just whatever you want to do? Just some strengths and weaknesses to each player, why the Magic should look into the player and why they should not. Yeah, I'll tackle it with the sales pitch for and against each of them. So I'll start with Chet Holmgren. He's my preferred candidate. He's not number one on my board, but he is my number one for Orlando. 
the reason I love him is you're getting one of the best shot blockers and really just rim protectors. I think that the draft has seen in a very long time. You look at his instincts and his ability to protect the rim. It, it's very special. I think he played in a system that is going to be like Orlando's with Drew Timmy. You have that same thing that Wendell Mo kind of system. So he doesn't have to adjust at all. And he has more freedom. Drew Timmy took a lot of the touches from him. He was probably third or fourth in line chat for being a playmaker, which was his big thing that made him a unicorn in high school. He was a ball handler at seven foot, seven foot one. While he's not going to be a pure ball handler, the biggest advantage he creates is in transition. He brings the ball at the floor. When a center is bringing the ball at the floor, we see this with Jokic. I think he's there. He's one of a few him and beat and probably somebody else I'm missing uh, off the top of my head that they bring the ball up the floor and suddenly the defense is thrown off, right? Because the center can't match step for step in transition. So there's automatically a mismatch. You have the ball handler being Chet in this situation has an easy, they're sagging off and they're willing to let him get in the paint. So he pops a three. He loves those transition threes. He passes to the open guard who has a big man on him, something. There's always a mismatch. So I think his role in the half court is a Mo Bamba and a lot better at it. And his entire role is just imagine if Mo Bamba was 50 to 75% better. Like if Mo hit his ceiling, that's probably what Chet is. So I think there's a more realistic chance for that. It's not exactly the sexiest sales pitch against him. Look, he's skinny. He could, he could find himself in trouble. He could get back down. Um, I don't think he's that great of a perimeter defender. I think he holds his own enough, but he's not somebody that I exactly want to be guarding point guards that are, I think he can get blown by. Uh, so that's my pitch against him, but those things seem pretty minimal to me. And um, and then I can tackle Jabari and Paolo after if you guys want to take some feedback on that. I don't want to go five minutes straight talking. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, one of the things that I really like about Chet is, you know, he recently had an interview with Shams and they, they were talking about him playing positions one through five and he's confident about it. He doesn't like being called a center. He he thinks that he can literally play any position on the floor. And I think that that's one of the things I really do like about him is that he definitely has this this sense of um, swagger about him. And he doesn't he he is 190 pounds wet, but he doesn't play that way. You know, he plays way more aggressive. He plays, you know, with with body and with strength. And you know, I I think that you you brought up a really good point. You know, it's 190 pounds doesn't automatically mean that you're going to get injured next next season. It can have it can literally happen to anyone in the Orlando Magic. If you've been following the team for a while, you literally know it can happen to everyone. Yeah. So I, I think that the biggest concern that maybe the fan base has right now is that we've dealt with injuries for so long. And if we're looking at these guys just out of pure sight, we believe that he's the most likely um, to be injured. Um, but you're you're you you hit it on. I mean, this dude brings the ball down down the court. Like, I I would be thrown off. You know, it's not something that we're we're really used to seeing. Now, when when you say that, uh, you know, Chet would be the ceiling of Mobamba. You do you say that right now at this very moment, Chet would be the ceiling of Mobamba, or you're looking at in the future? Yeah, I I think honestly, day one you get better output than you had from Mobamba. I think in the long term, you just look at what Mobamba could have been had everything gone right. I think he was dealt a bad hand from the get-go. Him and Clifford never meshed. Uh, we saw that pretty clearly just based on the minutes. And then also, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I remember when he went to the first game in Dallas. A lot of his family is out here in Texas uh, where he went to school. And 
he didn't even play. And I think they announced that he was like suspended or something. And it was like, they knew what they were doing. So like, it was just, it was so rocky. Imagine if you just got a restart and you got a player with just so much better feel for the game and just instincts, I think on the defensive end and really offensive too. That's what you're putting on that Mo Bamba at the same age. I think they both are old for their class. And I think that's what you get in him is, is day one, you get somebody an automatic upgrade from Obama with a lot more room to grow, especially as a playmaker, which separates him. What's going on, Magic fans? Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals actions with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings Same Game Parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 Same Game Parlay and won over $5,000. You can create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team is going to win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, let me ask you, okay, keep going with, with the chat conversation here. Generational talent. We think about a guy that can transform a franchise, a guy that can, you know, be, be something that years from now, you may say, oh, that guy kind of changed the game in a way, kind of like what Steph did in a way. Out of the top three guys, you think Chet is that guy? I've heard that kind of being mentioned multiple times now that Chet could be that guy out of this top three guys that you look back saying you could not miss on him. Like he's one guy that years from now, you may look back and say, wow, like he transformed either the team or the way the game is played. Do you see that in him? Yeah, I think we haven't seen a, a ball handler that can, sh- like if he gets the ball handling, that's the that's the big separator. If he's a ball handler in any capacity, even if it's like he's an elite transition ball handler, I think we've seen an, a player we haven't seen before because he's going to get his two blocks a game in the NBA. And just kind of for reference, this is a very, very um, loose stat here, but if you just go down the list of centers, or, or not, doesn't have to be centers, players seven feet tall or even 6'11 that have averaged both two assists a game and two blocks per game, they're all all stars. Like it's a, it's a very high level player. So for me, you add a true level of ball handling to that. That's a, that's a one of one. And we've talked about, I feel like NBA fans have talked about this for a while, especially in the last 10 years. Athletes are just getting better and better because of the resources that are more and more available. Uh, whether it be literally like, you know, medications, things like that, that help them heal faster, just tech, like medicine and stuff. And then also the resources of basketball skill is being taught to every single player at five years old, way better than it was 10, 15 years ago. So players that are going to get better. He could be the pioneer to these point centers that, I mean, next year there's another one in Victor Wembanyama. So I, I think he might just be opening the floodgates. 
I mean, talk talk to me about Jabari. Jabari was um, just finished his workout with Orlando today. Um, and, you know, we were able to hear a little bit. He answered some some questions from the press. And me personally, I, I like some of the things that that I heard from, you know, his responses. He seems like um, a kid that is very, very well spoken. He's all about the team. He's all about the environment. Um, but when it comes to Jabari, there's there's concerns. There's concerns about um, really his his ability to be the number one guy there's there's been a lot of people saying that maybe he's more of a, a second option maybe even a third option maybe he may not be the guy to be the the franchise player that you know a team like the orlando magic absolutely needs what are your thoughts on jabari yeah he has the number one floor in the draft you look at a 610 player that can shoot at an elite level and defend at an elite level you haven't you have the best three and d player in the league i mean for comparison there's one 610 three and d guy in the league right now. And it's actually on the maps, Maxi Kleba. He is pure and pure to that definition. He is a three point shooter. He does not put the ball on the floor and he is a defender, mostly a two point defender. And Maxi honestly, isn't he's like average at both of those things. And it's just because he's six ten, it makes him that much better. Now imagine if you had somebody at that height, that's elite at those things. Plus with the room to grow as a ball handler, right? Maxi cannot put the ball on the floor. Jabari can. And to me, the big thing with Jabari is, you get somebody who I, I truly do buy that he's going to be able to create within one to two dribbles. Is that a franchise changing talent? Maybe not, but couldn't you say all this stuff if, if say the six, six guy from Washington state ended up being one of the best shooters of, of all time and a great and a historically good defender with that three point shooting percentage. And he puts the ball on the floor, you know, only a handful of times, but he's six, six. I think you'd still take that. And that's Clay Thompson. So to me, you get him at 6'10". I don't think the shooting is that far off. I mean, we're going to start seeing, I think people, I know it's crazy to compare guys to Clay Thompson, and I don't want to put that pressure on him. But at the same time, like I said, guys are getting better and better. It's not rare to see rookies just being elite shooters in the league. I, I just don't think it's unheard of anymore like it once was. And I think he's on a trajectory similar to being a, Clay, a 6'10 Clay Thompson. Yeah, I mean, even the floor, I think, has been mentioned as Rashard Lewis being that guy that, hey, worst case scenario, a guy that can hit a three and just kind of stay in the corner and be okay defensively. But again, we know he's elite on defense. And Anthony mentioned earlier, he, he's been my guy since day one. I think he's a guy that, in my opinion, can develop over the next few years. He's, what, 19 years old, the youngest out of the top three, um, 6'10", plays defense. And in my opinion, why I like him so much is he fits what the Magic are doing. It's a guy that can go on the floor, guard anybody, one through five. And on the offensive end, he can play pretty much again. He can create a little bit. He can kind of play in the corner. He can do what you need him to do. Um, if he learns from a guy like Franz Wagner, all he needs to do is cut and stay open in the corner. If he does that, we saw with Franz, he can be elite. Now, Franz's advantage was he could create a little bit more of the pick and roll and things like that. But again, at 19 years old, this guy's not fully developed yet. He's got years to get better at those aspects. Um, let me ask you this though. What's a fair comparison? If you said, Hey, this guy, day one, October 31st, who's a fair comparison to who Jabari can be day one in the NBA? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, you look, I, I don't even have a name. I just think that being six times, I mean, really Maxi Kleba, I think that's probably the closest one. Um, the impact though, I, I think could be just so much higher. You, you have Maxi Kleba without some liabilities and, less inconsistency so more consistent and a little bit of being able to put the ball on the floor there's some argument to be made that a 
an elite three and D guy is a franchise changer. Like you look at Clay Thompson, he went in one of the most stacked drafts of the last 15 years, I think in 2011, probably the fourth best player, maybe even third, depending on how you rank him, where Kyrie falls in that. And to me, look, you get that, that might actually be the number one player. So I like him a lot and I think there's a lot of room for upside with him, but on day one, Look, it wouldn't shock me if he had some hidden upside that, or hidden abilities that we didn't even know about because that Auburn team was weird, right? He had Walker Kessler behind him, uh, really on both ends, just kind of clogging the paint. And then also he had no point guards. So with a team full of too many point guards, who knows what he could do. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that's really stood out to me from different podcasts I've I've listened to, and you know, I mentioned a little bit about this on our previous episode, but you know, his his competitiveness where he really takes everything super serious like there's no there's no day off with them it's it's a practice it's the mentality is you know just a little littlest thing when it when it comes to him competing you know he wants to do it and wants to do it 110 120 percent um when you look at a team like the orlando magic that really shot not the greatest from behind the arc it's hard to turn down a guy that shot above 40 percent it's hard to turn down a guy that you know he's he's elite defensive. Um, he he's an elite defensive player on the perimeter. I I like the idea of you know. Luckily, we have a player like Franz. But before Franz, when it came to guarding a, a Giannis, a LeBron, a Durant, you know we really didn't have that that guy. We couldn't rely on a player like Jonathan Isaac to stay healthy. Franz allowed now at least makes me feel a little more comfortable. But knowing a player like Jabari would take that assignment, especially early on. That's the part that kind of really makes me say, man, maybe Jabari is is that guy. But then the moment that I convince myself that Jabari is that guy, then I'm just reminded about Paolo, and then it kind of throws it goes all out the window. So talk talk to me about Paolo. Why should Paolo, Why is Paolo that guy? I I feel like Paolo's your number one. Is that is that accurate? No, actually, Jabari no. Smith is. Um, I threw you a curveball. Man, I threw you I, I, I felt, I, I felt like the energy was there. We made eye contact, and I felt like Paolo was, was weird there. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. But talk to me about Paolo. Yeah, no, I think if you talk about a guy who can get you to be a first option, because I don't think Chet Holmgren is. I didn't touch on that, but he's more of an off-ball player to me offensively for the most part, transitions when he's most on ball. But you look at a true first option in the half court, Paolo Bunker is the option, right? He's 6'10". I think he's a three-level scorer. I have some fun, like concerns about his fundamentals a little bit. Just the the things that that are just my biggest pet peeves of like, come on, why are you doing this? He doesn't know angles on on post uh, excuse me post entry passes. I'd argue a third. I'm just guesstimating here. A third of his turnovers were probably just horrible post entry passes to Mark Williams, uh, which is very hard to do because he has a standing reach of nine foot nine. So like, almost everything is in his range, but. Things like that really do scare me. It's not like those things are those exact situations are going to happen in the NBA. Like, yeah, who cares if you're not going to be able to make a post up? It's more about the fundamentals of, hey, are you going to just forget? Like, it's kind of a switch for you. And then also, he just gets mad tunnel vision at the rim. Like, uh, he's, he gets a putback. He does not pass out of it. One of my absolute biggest pet peeves. But the positives are just ridiculously strong. You look at, I think he, and I want to end that with, he still has a good basketball IQ. It's just like, just those two things, like, come on, fix that. And I don't know how much that actually weighs, but you look at a guy who's comfortable with both hands. I think he sees cutters very well. I think a lot of his assists were good with uh, two cutters. He's got a good back-to-the-basket game a little bit. Like, if he needs to play bully ball, he can play off ball, too. I think he can spot up well. He sees over defenses. 
And he's a good defender when he turns it on, but you look at just the scoring ability, his ability just to take it between the legs, like just casual move and then just step back, pop, and it goes in. And that's just a very, very difficult play to stop at 6'10". And it's it's not anything complex. It's just you look at a guy with that size, that scoring ability, and his creation package is going to get better. How do you stop that? Now, I, I got to ask you, Richard, I've heard the comparison to Jason Tatum quite a bit. A thicker Jason Tatum is kind of what, what I keep hearing out there. Do you see that in his game? Do you see the kind of that, that small forward, kind of a smallish power forward in him? Because, um, again, to me, Tatum is a different player overall, but maybe I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I, I see shades. It, it's hard to compare Paolo. I really don't know who else goes in that boat. I would I would have had to... Man, I got to look up the six foot 10 guys that score 20 points a game that aren't like post players, six foot 10 and above. Cause I feel like, I mean, Tatum obviously isn't six ten, but I think he's just slow Tatum. I, I think slower Tatum is how I see him and just a little bit less, uh, not a little bit, I would say just less consistently uh, consistent on defenses. There, there's so many shades offensively that I think it's actually a pretty decent one. You look at their pre draft uh, scouting reports, it's almost one to one. I feel some some of the knock that we hear from from Paulo is is his shooting from behind the three point line, and I think that if if his percentage was a lot higher, I, I think that we would hear his name more in the in the top one conversations where I feel like he's been left out a lot. Um, him hiring Mike Miller and and working with him in the off season, I mean, do you see do you see him being a player that can really? do that type of damage from behind the line. We we know that he can have a post game. We know that he has good ball handling skills. We know that he can do a lot of those things. But when it comes from shooting is again one of the one of the biggest drawbacks from the Orlando Magic. It's just something that we're not good at and we need desperate help in in that in that area. Could Paulo be that guy? Do you see him 2-3 years down the line being able to shoot at a high level? Yeah, and this is one of the things why I have Jabari over him for the Magic is you look at the magic of the last 10 years. Can you name more at a season where they had more than two good off ball shooters? Cause like Vucevic doesn't count for this. He's not off ball, like primarily off ball players. And you know, I, I don't think the answer is yes. Uh, I don't think that there's more than, sorry, it's not a yes or no question. I don't think, uh, I don't think the answer is more than like Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier. Like that was pretty much it. And with Powell, I think he can play off ball. I think he's obviously going to be primarily on ball. My big, this is like kind of a concern for me. I think he can play uh, as a spot up shooter. How willing is he? Like that's that's almost my thing. A lot of his stuff is just how willing is he to do it. I mean, you talk about defense, minimizing some mistakes in the paint. Like how willing are you to overcome those? And, and it's going to come down to work ethic for him. It's funny you mentioned that because that has been my biggest concern with him. I don't know what it is, but just my eye test for whatever reason. I love his game. I love his offensive game, especially. But there's something about his game that I've always been like, I don't know what it is, but it could be that. that it, it, Will he have to drive, you know, to do the little things defensively, offensively, to stay in the corner while others, others create, especially in the Magic when you have, you know, Markel Fultz handling the ball a lot, Cole Anthony, Suggs. Will he be the best fit? And again, he may be a great player five, ten years from now, but on the Magic, will he thrive the same way that he might fit, you know, somewhere else, OKC, wherever else that may be. Um, but thank you so much again for that feedback, Richard, on Paulo, Chad, and uh, Jabari. I know we, our listeners have been kind of hearing those names. And again, thank you for letting us know your feedback on those guys. Because again, we, we're all changing minds. My guy has been Jabari for a while. 
example, like Anthony mentioned, there are moments where I'm like, wait, but Czech kind of has a potential to be a great player. What if we drafted him? Um, but let me ask you this. If the Magic traded down, so let's say for some reason they did not fall in love with either one of those three guys, very unlikely, but it, it could happen. Who would be the fourth guy in this draft that you're like, hey, the Magic should really go after that guy? It's not Jaden Ivey. You've got to stay away from guards this year. This is just a consequence of the last several years of transactions. You, you kind of just put yourself in a situation where you say it's fine. It's also not a very guard-heavy draft. I personally, my number five player, it's my number five or number six player. It's My number five is Benedict Matherin, who we talked about, I mean, just a minute ago I referenced it, how many times did the Magic have a bunch of off-ball players and I think he can be an off-ball player now for the first two years and then potentially grow as a little bit of an on-ball player or just be so elite of playing off-ball as an on-ball player where, like, you know, he spots up, up fake, drives to the basket. Like, that kind of stuff. I think he could get elite at being just all everything that encompasses off-ball. And then the other would be Keegan Murray. Yes, he will be 22 by the start of the season. But you look at a guy who plays great defense. He was the number one option on his score or as a scorer on Iowa – and it's tough to do that. The, him and Johnny Davis had that mold down of being that number one option playing great defense. And somebody with his size, I think he can create a little bit, doesn't turn the ball over. For me, that's my number one thing I look at for these high-volume players is how much do they turn it over. And he's very mistake-free. It's actually almost historically good how low turnover he is. And, and just one use case of where that's worked, of a polarizing player who didn't turn the ball over but had the ball in his hands a ton. It's very early. But Cam Thomas has actually looked like a good player didn't turn the ball over despite always shooting and having the ball in his hands, didn't turn it over. And that, that seems to be, I know that's just one example, but there's others in the past. The low turnover rate is a very good like predictor of, of NBA success, I think. And, you know, you got a power forward who can create his own shot. That'd be very good for this team. And then Richard kind of looking into, you know, we're not only looking at the number one pick, you know, we also have the 32nd and the 35th pick. Um, picks that are extremely valuable because they're really high in the second round. The Magic also have a pattern, a history of not keeping those second round picks for uh, whatever reason. But when you look at the players that would be available in the second round, what should the Magic do with them? Should we package them to try and move up? Could we really find uh, value as as we've seen in the in the playoffs where these second round you know, players are are really doing a lot of damage and, and they are able to be developed and, and and contribute. What should the Magic do with the second round picks? Yeah, my favorite package for the Mavs is trading 26 for either 30 and 34 with Oklahoma City or 32 and 35 with the Magic. I think it benefits both sides. I don't think the Magic have a need to develop three rookies, well, even if they draft and stash one of them. Like, I, I just don't think they need to be to making three draft picks. What'll probably happen, just knowing this front office, They'll probably move them up for like the 25th pick, sell the 25th pick or something. Uh, they love not using these the 25th plus pick in drafts. But I think this year you really have to. You look at the depth from, I would say 15 on my board, I would be very shocked if starting at 15, which is Nikola Jovic on my board, down to, man, like the 45th, 46th guy, that's like one whole tier. So you're going to get somebody on that probably multiple players in my top 25. So for me, I would say you're going to get somebody at that. Those, both of those picks you are very likely to get somebody because teams are going to see it differently. No two people have the same board. No two teams have the same board. There's a lot of names out there that stand out. If you don't mind me giving some specifics, I, I think 
Jalen Williams from Arkansas, not the one from Santa Clara that's risen really highly. I would have loved him there. But uh, Jalen Williams from Arkansas, if they don't go with a, a traditional big, um, he'd be somebody interesting because he's not an above-the-rim player, but he can be a, a small ball five or a versatile five that just does a bit of everything. Uh, Wendell Moore from Duke, we could get in. I mean, that's a shooter. That's a guy who shoots, passes, and defends very well. And I, I would say there's somebody else that I really like, which is Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers. I think he's climbing right now. He's got super long arms, measured really well in the combine, has an over seven foot wingspan, NBA pedigree, uh, which I'm sure the Magic don't mind. And I, I think just again, that off ball thread, I've been campaigning for him to be in Orlando for a while. At 35, I would be all for it. One name I think that could surprise people by being there is somebody like Jaden Hardy or Marshawn Beauchamp. I think very well one of the G League Ignite guys is going to drop. And I would start with Beauchamp, even though he's got a bad jump shot. I'd rather gamble on him than Jaden Hardy, but one of those two will be there, I bet. Yeah, I mean, definitely exciting to see what the Magic will do with those second-round picks. I mean, I think what we keep hearing the most is package them, maybe even with Terrence Ross, to a contender, that again, it's going to use those those second round picks. They don't want the, the fully guaranteed contracts, and the Magic can jump up into you know the twenty range, maybe even uh, hopefully high twenties. Uh, but then again, we'll see how that all plays out. But definitely a lot to consider for the team here over the next couple of weeks. Um, now, last question about the draft. So we're kind of putting you here on the hot seat and saying, hey, you know, what do you think the Magic will actually do? So we know again we have our favorites. Me and you like Jabari, and likes Paulo. Plenty of people like Chet. What do you think they will actually do on draft night here over just a couple of weeks? Yeah, I think they take Jabari Smith. He just fits the the elite shooting. Um, I, I think it's Jabari Smith. You don't think that the connection with Jalen Suggs and Chad has uh, any, any kind of impact uh, on the draft here this year? No, I, I don't. I think I think it's I think they should take Chet because of that upside, um, but. I just I think they're going to fall in love with the shooting and defense. I think the defense is such an identity. I know Chet brings that, but um, I think they're going to fall in love with uh, with Jabari's shooting ability and and potential. Maybe they buy the ability to uh, to grow as a ball handler. Truthfully, I, I that's that's exactly what I see. Vegas also agrees that Jabari is going number one. So you know how often is Vegas wrong, right? Um, but. Richard, I, I, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and kind of giving us some some gems on all these players. I, I think that um, now that we have one down with the workout of Jabari, you know, me personally, I'm kind of hoping that Paolo comes in and kind of surprises everyone and, and knocks the socks out um, of, of Jeff and John and, and really, you know, kind of compete because I, I would love to hear Paolo's name at least mention a couple more in the discussions of, of the number one. But um, for our listeners, Richard, where where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Um, you know, if they want to get a little more of your uh, content. Yeah, the hub is at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Uh, everything goes through there. And then I'm also on Locked on NBA Big Board is what it's called. Now I used to be Locked on NBA Draft. Uh, we're five times a day on that show. Rafael Barlow has been killing it. Um, so been a privilege being with him, but we got a ton of good content on there as well. All right. Awesome, Richard. I appreciate you so much for joining us. And that's a wrap. We'll catch you guys next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Magic fans. For all the latest Orlando Magic news and updates, follow us on Twitter at the Ozone Pod and on Instagram at Orlando Magic HQ. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.